0: Good morning. I get the joy of preaching to you this morning and in preparation for this sermon I played a lot of video games. Um, Last year there was a video game that came out uh, that kind of took the the market by storm uh, that uh, won uh, many game of the year awards and that uh, uh, had many articles written and dissecting it and trying to understand w- why this was created, what was it about, and it was a video game called That Dragon Cancer. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of this, That you can not now because you'll be distracted. Go on your iPhone or whatever it may be and download it right now and play it. Um, but it's this game called That Dragon Cancer, and it was a game created by Ryan and Amy Green um, about their one-year-old son, Joel, who was diagnosed with an atypical tumor. Now, these, these, Ryan and Amy Green were, were uh, video game creators themselves, and they, uh, they got this, this news about their, their son, and they said, you know what, let's make a story about this, of, of how uh, he defies odds, and he gets only six months to live, but he broke through that barrier, and we can celebrate. And so they, uh, they film his life in the first year or two uh, of what he's going through. Um, they filmed their doctor's visits. And sadly, uh, it's not a a story of celebration. Uh, Joel does die. And the game, the, the, Ryan and Amy take a drastic turn in, in their approach uh, to this and they now say, what do we do? We have all this that we've just been capturing. And we're, we, you know, life just threw us a huge curveball and, and everything's erupted. Now what do we do? And I said, let's make a video game about it to understand our grief, to help those who may be grieving. Um, and so you play this game, and I promise you, it is impossible to play this game without crying. I mean, it is hard. You, you, you start out and you hear the, the sounds of, you're, you're playing as Joel walking through the woods, and you hear his giggles, and it's actual audio from when he was there. And then you, you get, uh, you're, you're at the doctor's office and you're getting the bad news and, and literally water is rising in the room the whole time. And you, you're, you're arguing, you, you press these buttons to argue um, of you know, what, about this? What, what about this, what about this, what about this? And the water just gets higher and higher and higher. Then you, 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 you race through the hospital rooms and you read uh, you know, terribly written get well cards, you know, it's all in God's plan type uh, cards, things like that, that you're like, oh, that's tough and then you, you start sailing through the universe on these balloons, um, and you're trying to dodge comets, it appears, but as you get closer, you realize those aren't comets that you're dodging. Um, they're giant cancer cells that you're trying to dodge, but the cancer becomes more prevalent and more and more and more till it pops every one of your balloons. It is I mean, It is a hard game to play. It's called that dragon cancer because there is a hidden dragon of cancer that may be living inside some of you this morning that wants you to never find out about its reality. But there's, there's another dragon that I wanna talk about this morning that, that, that loves to hide itself, that loves to say, I'm not even here, and it does a great job of hiding itself from the, to your eyes, to our, my eyes, or the presence that is actually there, and it's that hidden dragon, money. Last uh, two weeks ago, Jeff began a mini-sermon series on the gospel and money. And today we pick that up as we look at it in Luke 12, 13 through 34. Please stand for the hearing of God's word.
1: Luke 12, 13 through 34. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The word of the Lord.
0: Father, we ask that you would speak this morning, God, that you would uh, shine upon the page into our hearts, that you would you would be present here, speaking through Luke, speaking through myself, God, that we will be able to hear from you and not just to one man's opinion. So God, we thank you that you uh, give us your word that lasts generations to generations and it is uh, firm and fixed and, and good for us to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Jesus is, is preaching one of his all-time greatest sermons uh, on this hill, and we, we know it's one of his all-time greatest sermons uh, because he has thousands of people they're listening to Him. Um, thousands of people listening to Jesus uh, preach, and they're, they're, they're following Him along this, this, this hill, and so at some points Jesus is preaching to the thousands and kind of oscillating between them, and then He's going to His disciples and speaking specifically to His disciples, and He kind of goes back and forth, and that's exactly what happens in this text. Um, but we know this is one of his, his greater sermons because of the, the, the thousands that were there, but also some of the great lines that were there. Um, so prior to what we just read here earlier in chapter 12, we have the, you know, do not fear those who kill the body. He's trying to encourage. And he says, even uh, the Lord knows the number of hairs on your head, uh, which is just a beautiful thing, especially if you have hair. Um, so like, <laughs> uh, and, and he says, see, like, the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say in any given situation. Like, it's like just this comforting, beautiful thing that God is, it, it, Jesus is speaking to people. And you would think the response is, yes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. We understand that there is a difference between uh, saying I'm a Christian and actually being a Christian. Being a Christian actually changes my priorities and my values and what I actually worry about. Like, you, It comforts me. I don't have to worry about some of these things. And you would think that would be the response. And so Jesus finishes preaching this. And then here's the first response. And it was the first thing we read um, from the, this, this man in verse 13. Someone in the crowd then said to him, Teacher, that's my voice for this man, Please tell my brother to divide the inheritance. I can't use that voice. That sounds so stupid. Um, gosh. Uh, there's this man who says, after he hearing this beautiful sermon, He just says, Can you tell my brother to divide his inheritance? And I would just imagine like, what Jesus would be doing at that point. like. Uh, What? (laughs) So random. It's so random. It's so out of left field. Like, what are you talking about? Uh, I I get this a lot. Um, I work in youth ministry. Um, (laughs) So, like, this past year, we've been uh, using the Gospel According To series, and uh, I felt like uh, we were having this really, like, really good moment. We were were listening to, uh, to the Gospel According to Chance the Rapper, Um, some of you guys may know who he is and I felt like we were really bringing it home Uh, we were we were uh, talking about you know how great God is in spite of the pain in spite of all the 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 terrors and the things that hurt and yet God's great in in the midst of it you know Chance has this great line he says magnify magnify lift it on high spit it Spotify it a spot on his side I cannot modify or ratify my mama made me apple pies lullabies and alibis the book don't end with Malachi I love that line (laughs) I love to rap, too. Uh, The the book doesn't end with Malachi. That's so beautiful, that your story isn't here. There there is hope after this, that it doesn't end here. There is a Savior coming, and it's so good. And then I have this hand. OK, we'll do questions now. Uh, Yes? Who makes the communion bread? (laughs) I'm sorry. uh, What? Yeah, communion bread's really good. it is it's really good people are church do that yeah, they, they come before they, they bake it and they make it for us every every sunday that's okay moving forward <laughs> like it's just it's one of those like, i i'm feeling for jesus that, like this random thing like can you tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me and and jesus doesn't just like you know make fun of the guy like i might um, jesus doesn't just crush him nor does he he take the man's bait. Um, he doesn't say like, okay, yeah, tell me the story. Let's figure out who needs to get the, what, how much money. Um, Jesus says, man, who made me judge or arbiter over you? And the man's probably the younger brother in this, in this situation. And he's probably arguing to get his older brother's inheritance or some of the inheritance. And he calls the t- him teacher or rabbi. And uh, rabbis sometimes in that time would, would divide and, and, and would speak into some of these justice issues. Uh, but Jesus doesn't usurp the, the rabbi's authority and do that there, um, nor does he kind of upend uh, and, and just a- allow this man to go on uh, thinking the way he thinks. He actually upends his own perceived authority on his own money. And, and what he says to this man, the very first thing he says is take care, be on your guard. Or, in other words, watch out against all forms of covetousness. Why? You know, there's, there's no other spot in Scripture, or no other sin in Scripture where Jesus says, watch out, be careful. You know, he says, be careful, beware, watch out of the Pharisees, be careful of, of false teaching coming into, the, into the, uh, the church. But he doesn't say for specific sins. He saves that specific warning for this specific sin Greed, materialism, covetousness, and he's saying all all of these things, all of those things are all considered sins of the eye. Meaning, if your eye is darkened, you can't even see that you have a problem there. It blinds you from the fact that it's actually there. Because it darkens your eyes to the fact that you actually have a problem. So greed, money, materialism, all make it so that all of us think we don't even have a problem with it which is the scariest thing of all. Think about that. Like, you know, with, with gluttony, the sin of gluttony, you know you have a problem. Like, I know I have a problem. Um, you, with, 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 with lust, you, you know you're committing adultery. Even with pride, and you think with people with pride, maybe they're just like, uh, they're, they're missing it. That You know you're prideful, but you just don't care because you think you're so awesome. <laughs> but with greed... The scary thing about greed is you don't even know you have a problem. It hides itself. It's this hidden dragon that wraps its tail around your eyes and says, I'm not here. It's kind of frightening. So if you're bored, that's a sign you have a problem or other things. (laughs) When 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 we don't ask the question, Am I greedy? It's because the dragon has already wrapped his tail around you and said, I'm not here. Money has the power to keep us from asking these tough questions. It, it keeps us from asking, you know, how should I make my money in honorable ways or dishonorable ways? It keeps us from asking, how should I spend my money? And so we think about that. We think about how money it, it says, I'm not here. And so this happens all the time when, when we do counseling and things like that, you know, people will come to counseling and, and, and uh, marital, marital counseling and, and they'll confess all sorts of sins to, to us pastors. And, 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 and we'll say, just so you know, we'll say, okay, we know, we know you're sinners. But they'll, they'll confess all sorts of sins. But then we say, well, what about money? Well, that's, not, that's not an issue, like, we're, we're good there. Yet, besides sex, money is the, the number one reason couples fight. Like it's always the, that's, that's not an issue, let's move on to more important things. Yet it's the number one reason people fight in marriage besides sex. And so he's, Jesus saying greed has this tendency, it has this knack for hiding itself from the presence of the person that it's latched itself onto like a demon, like a dragon. And so that everyone thinks, I'm in the middle class. I'm just an average working hard Joe, and you may be and you think, I'm in the middle class. I don't actually have a problem with money because I don't have a car like this guy. I don't have a house like that guy. We all know someone who's a little bit richer than us, and it gives us that reason to say, I'm actually not that wealthy, I am actually don't have any problems with this, and, and, and greed latches itself onto you like that. And so, we, we can think of it this way. You know, Americans, we spend, uh, on average, we spend $1.22 for the dollar that we receive. right? We always overspend. Uh, on what we actually have, so we go into debt, and even if you're not in debt, um, you think of it this way, when we we buy these big purchases, houses, cars, computers, whatever, the question usually is only, how much can I afford? Which doesn't sound like a bad question, you probably should ask that question, Uh, but greed is making it so you don't ask other questions. Like, do I need that much? So have you, any of you ever bought in a house that is actually a lot less than what you can actually afford? to actually live in, a, in, a, in, a, in means a lot less than what you can act, you actually afford, so that you have more money to, to give away and to be generous, or to, to buy a car that's like f- far worse than what you could actually buy. Money has a way of making it so you don't even worry about these questions. So it's, 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 it's like the frog in the kettle, right? The frog gets in the kettle and says, this is a nice hot tub. Soon that hot tub gets hotter. And hotter and things start becoming more and more expensive, right? And pretty soon you are now bathing in the thing that's cooking you to death. We didn't even know it happened. It just kind of happened overnight. And so Jesus saying, watch out. Assume you have a problem. It's a hidden dragon that's desperately trying to get you from seeing that it's there. And here's why Jesus says watch out in verse 15. Here, here's the heart behind what Jesus is trying to say. He says, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, which I think is just so beautiful. Jesus is saying, the man's asking for his inheritance, and Jesus is saying, watch out because that's not all there is to life. There are three words for life that the, the, the Greeks used. The first word was bios. Uh, the bios was your, your quantitative life, like uh, how much land you owned, uh, how long you lived, how many goods you've acquired. That's, that's what would be recited at like the shrewd funeral. Um, they had this much, this much, that's who they were. Boom, right? The, 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 the other word would be uh, for a qualitative life, and that's psyche, and that would be uh, the relationships you had, the, 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 uh, the love and, and the care and the, the family members, things like that. And then the third word that they would use, and that's what Jesus uses here, is zoe which is your quintessential life. That life is not found in these possessions. That there is more to life than that. That I have not come to to give you things so that you feel like you have a good life. He's saying, I have come to be your life. I've come to completely change it so that all of life is about me. I am the way, the truth, and the life because things fade, rust, and drift away. It's more than that. And then he illustrates that with this, this parable in verses 16 on, he says, he tells them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. What, what did this farmer, this rich farmer, do wrong here? Was it because he was rich? No? I mean, th- his farm was, was plentiful because God actually made it so. So it wasn't that he was rich that it, it, he was doing wrong. And we know that in Scripture, uh, the money is not, is not sin. Uh, the, the, the amount of money being rich is not a sin. You have Abraham, you have Solomon, you have Job. Uh, you have many examples of people who are rich that weren't condemned for being rich. In fact, um, there, there's a good, it's good to actually care about the physical world, right? The Christianity is very different in that realm. Like, You should actually, you should actually save money. But now the Bible is trying to tell us that But if all you do is save money and save all of your money, then now you're, you're starting to ignore the spiritual world that's, that's present here. And so you need to see both here. And so what did the farmer do wrong? What Jesus is doing when he's condemning the farmer is he's saying it's all about him. If you look at that parable, it's a small little parable, and the farmer only talks about himself. There's like eight eyes and four mice in there, uh, and he says, you know, like, what am I going to do with all of this money? <laughs> he says, so, you've done well, treat yourself, right? <laughs> He's so proud of himself, he's like, treat yourself. Like, I've got so much, I've done so well, I should enjoy life, I should eat, drink, and relax, and be merry, and I need to build bigger barns for all my stuff. Like, <laughs> So what is Jesus condemning? Is that this, this man has made it all about him. And that is, the, that is the, the problem of this hidden dragon, and that it hides you from the fact that you start making everything about yourself, and it removes this great need you have, for Jesus. It removes a need for need. I mean, think about that. If you, if you have done so well in life that you actually do have lots of discretionary income, what do you need? Like, what can you buy people with need? Like, if you ever try to buy your parents something, like, you're like, well, what, what do I get them? They already have stuff, <laughs> right? When, when you try to give people who have something, everything, like, what do you, what do they need? And that's what this hidden dragon does, is it actually makes you feel like you don't need anything. And so if you don't need anything physically, and you may not need anything spiritually. It makes me think of that hymn, Come Ye Sinners, where it says, all the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. Greed has a power of masking that, that need, right? So notice the farmer tries to play this victim card, which I think is just funny. He says, oh, what what am I going to do? What shall I do? And his answer is to build bigger storage units for all of his stuff. And God comes in and says, fool. And just think of like the power behind that. Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And some people have asked me after the last sermon, what does that mean of him? Uh, I think that means that he actually goes to his maker. He actually, actually goes to judgment day. Right. This is a parable. This didn't actually happen, but this is what I think that's what that means. Uh, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So God calls this man a fool, which is a a word Proverbs uses all the time. Proverbs uses the fool to, to refer to a man who's ignorant, who thinks he knows but doesn't know. You probably know a lot of people like that. They they, they think they know everything. And then they speak, and you realize they don't. Um, So that's the fool he's talking about here, right? He's saying, fool, you don't even know that you're drowning in your own pleasures. What's the point of storing up what you can't take with you? It makes me think of like the Johnny Cash song where he actually takes uh, Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails' song, Hurt, at the end of his life, Johnny Cash is, is looking at all of the stuff that he's amassed and all of the, all of the, the wealth and all, of the, all that he, he kind of saw was quintessential life. And at the end of it, he takes this song and he makes it his own and he says, you can have it all, my empire of dirt. That's a different way of seeing our stuff. Dave Matthews kind of says the same thing, not as relevant now, but um, he says, well, in the end, it all piles up so tall to one big nothing, one big nothing at all. There's a different way of seeing our stuff. There's a different way of seeing these material possessions. The, 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 the farmer's worldview is, if life is all there is, if this is life, then I need bigger barns. I need bigger storage units because that's my life. Literally, that's, that's me. My identity is in this stuff. And I need more room to store all my stuff. It can't go away. I need to hold on to it tight. But it's insane. It's insane to hold on to these things if this life isn't all there is. If there's life after death, and if you will die, what's the point of holding on to this stuff? There's a different way of seeing the world, and there's a different way to be rich is what Jesus talks about. And so if you have money, Jesus is speaking to you and saying, just watch out. Come with the presupposition, I have a problem, maybe. <laughs> Just ask the question: Do I have a problem? Because money keeps us from asking those questions. It gives us a blind spot. All right, but now Jesus goes from the, the, the mass of crowds, the thousands, and now he goes to his disciples, right? So he was speaking to the thousands, and then he goes, now he speaks to the disciples. And the disciples are fishermen, right? They're they're the working class, the blue-collar, those without money. And so you can see what the disciples are probably thinking while Jesus is telling the crowds about this rich man. They're like, finally, someone told these people. <laughs> oh, you guys see this a lot. You're like, ah, oh, someone should be hearing this sermon right now. Like, this need, they need to hear this. That's probably as the disciples are thinking. Like, ah, oh, the people with money need to hear this. And then Jesus spends more time on money, talking to his disciples who have no money, about money. So he's saying, equally, you both need to hear this. That we all need to hear this. So it's whether, as one pastor said, through the presence of money or through the absence of money, money can distort our lives. And so it's easy to see what the disciples are thinking here. Um, he's saying with the rich, your life is about your things. With the poor, your life is now concerned about where you're going to get your food, about where you're gonna, what you're going to wear. And so equally, both sides are actually very anxious and very worried about what to do with money, with it or without it. And so he says, do not be anxious to the poor. What you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. And so those without money have this problem. And greed is hiding behind them as, like this dragon and saying, I'm not here. You even more so. There's, you're the victim. I'm not, I, you, have no problem. I have, you have no problem with me. Greed has nothing to do with you because you have no money. And yet, it is affecting the poor so much that it is killing them and riddling them with anxiety about having no money. You guys heard of uh, this little kind of obscure author, um, J.K. Rowling? I don't know if you heard about her. Um, she wrote a couple books uh, that were uh, pretty good. Uh, they came to movies uh, and, and theme parks later. Um <laughs> Uh, she wrote. If you still aren't sure, uh, the the Harry Potter books. Um, J.K. Rowling was was really poor before she wrote. Like she was she was dirt poor, um, like kid in her arms, um, not sure how to feed, uh, poor um, before she wrote these books. Which is probably why she connects so much with uh, the world, right? Why she connects so much with Harry. Um, so she writes these books, and she went from so poor to just kind of ridiculously rich, and just uh, absurdly rich. And she was on the Oprah Winfrey show um, some time ago. And Oprah Winfrey is probably the richest woman in America. So it's kind of two rich women talking to each other. And Oprah says, have you you accepted now that you will always be rich? And Rowling says, no, have you? (laughs) Uh, And Oprah said, yes, I know I will always be rich. And Rowling says, I don't know that there are times when I still worry about money (laughs) still (laughs) with life altering money you still worry about it this is why Jesus is teaching on it because it's not about the money it's about the heart about the worry about the fear and all of this and so Jesus comes to these disciples and says he speaks all tenderly to, to his flock and says I know you're worried and riddled with anxiety, and I know it's, it, it's scary. Consider the birds. And I love the Jesus Storybook Bible here uh, as, as imagery. If you've ever read the Jesus Storybook Bible, if you have kids, or if you just want to understand the Bible better as an adult, uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible is very good, and it has these pictures of these, uh, these birds with, like, pushing shopping carts. And usually the kids laugh, and they're like like, oh, that's silly, because they're trying to say, it's the absurdity like birds don't go shopping for food yet God feeds them. And then it goes and it goes and makes it cute like with the the flowers, the li- lilies of the field, you know, the, and the, the flowers are trying on dresses and you know kids are laughing about that You're like that's silly, that's absurd. Again, to the point that God clothes them better than Solomon. But I want to go I want to go one step further than what the, the Jesus story Bible talks about. It doesn't just say that he he takes care of the birds. It says Consider the ravens. The ravens. Like, who here likes to bird watch and wants to go watch b- ravens? Like, it is a <laughs> one man. <laughs> it's a rat with wings. It is ugly. It is ugly. It's usually known for death, right? Like, the raven, Edgar Allan Poe, like, you know, nevermore, right? Like, it's, it's not a good-looking bird. It, it's a terrible bird. It's a scavenger, and yet... God feeds them and cares for them. And he's saying, how much more valuable are you than the rat with wings? (laughs) I regret I made that. I love you. (laughs) I don't know if that's what he said. (laughs) Then he also says something in here about how absurd is it that you, when we worry that we can even think that we add even to like an hour to our lives. Um, another translation is saying, "How absurd is it that you can even add a cubic meter to your height?" So if you worry, you think, "If I, if I plan hard enough, I think through all all the outcomes. Maybe I can grow a little bit taller, uh, <laughs> or maybe I can extend my life a little bit longer." And he was trying to say, "Little flock, fear not. I love you more than that. I love you more than that. I love you more than Solomon, more than the flowers." And what does worry do? Worry tears us down. The thing that we think is actually going to help us get to where we want to be is actually what breaks us down. Whenever we worry, whenever you stress over over a job, over money, over a relationship, over a school, what happens? You usually get sick, right? Usually you worry, you stress, and then you're sick. I get sick every uh, week after breakout for our youth retreat because I stress over that <laughs> every year. Every year, it's on, on the dot, like, ah, I got sick. right? Stress gets us sick. The thing that we think is actually going to help us gets us, it breaks us down. Sometimes it can make you really sick. Sometimes it can make you really sick, like, like tearing your body apart sick. And so what does all of the worry do? All of it does is just change change what you think you know. Actually, God actually has to now open up your hand and say, that's not how things are going to be. I'm going to take this. Life is going to be different. It hurts more when we go that route. So is your natural bent to worry about money? To, to stay up late, to overwork, to stress, to be late, to control? If so, the dragon has gotten you as well. Even without money, greed has gotten you. The word wor- worry actually refers to a ship that sails too high on a sea. Uh, and so uh, even, even when the slightest wave comes, the ship could capsize. And so we think about it for us, when we worry, we're sailing too high on the sea. So even, even the slightest insult breaks us. Even the slightest speed bump, we think, it's over. I hate it. <laughs> I, I want to I curl up into a ball. Uh, even after la- this, this, this morning's sermon, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to do it again. <laughs> right? Like, I, I worry about the sermon. So that, that, how, how, it, how it comes out, I'm worried. Everything we, we think about, when we're about our money or we're worried about our relationships, the slightest little encouragement can build you up, but the slightest knock can just tear you down. And so worry does this for us. And God's saying, fear not. Worry not. You have an anchor that's going to hold you in place in the midst of some of these storms. Jesus is saying, how much more valuable are you than the ravens, than the flowers? And then he gets ultra tender with his disciples, with the lower class, with those who do worry day in and day out. And he says, fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom, not next month's rent. It's your goodwill to give you the kingdom, to give you something far better, to actually give you life, to give you something life changing, to be your life. And so, whatever the, it, we may be holding on to tightly, whether it's the money or whether it's uh, the, the lack of money, and Jesus wants to come in and take that dragon off of you and saying, Fear not rest and not stress over it. Let it go, because I've got you. That's why we're talking about money, right? That's why, that's why we, we see the intersection of the gospel and money. We think these things are actually very connected. Uh, you know, us as pastors, we hate talking about money. It does make us worry and, uh, and stress over these things, because it sounds very self-serving. But Jesus is preaching to the thousands, not so that he can get any money, He's preaching to the thousands because they need to hear it because deep down inside each and every one of us there is this tug that's connected to generosity and so what's Jesus's response to all this he says to, to the wealthy watch out greed is is is, is here it's it, it's around to, to those without money he says watch out greed hides itself in worry and then he says to everyone sell your possessions Verse 33, something radical. Just sell your possessions and give to the needy because giving and generosity are at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Giving and generosity are at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. They are intricately woven together so that you cannot be a Christian and not be generous. You cannot be a Christian and not be generous with the encouragement that you have, with the love that you give, and then with your income. Think about, your, think about the, the, kind of the, the cardinal doctrines of being a Christian. Faith, hope, and love, right? How is generosity tied to those? Faith. Why don't I give more? I have a lack of faith. Will he take care of me? Will he care for me? Will he do it? I doubt it. And so with that, it's not just a lack of generosity, it's a lack of faith. That's why this matters. What about hope? It says here uh, in verse 34, Jesus drops this bomb. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How does generosity tie to hope? He's trying to say that your heart is tied to your treasure and so that your money is tattling on you. It's telling you something about where your heart is, where your hope is. Um, you know, it was said earlier today from Chris. Um, this is a dilemma that hits home in our family um, a lot. I could stay home and eat a six-dollar peanut butter and jelly sandwich, or uh, for six dollars feed the whole family for with peanut butter jelly sandwiches, carrots. Um, yeah, if you had a six-dollar peanut butter sandwich, that's not bad. <laughs> now I want it. <laughs> it's tattling on me. Uh, or. I could go to Chewy's and spend $60 because it costs so much to eat at Chewy's. Chewy's is getting a bad rap today. <laughs> but that dilemma hits us all the time, not just because of the delicious chips and salsa. right? Um, it's always where our budget is off. It's in the food budget. Why? Because that's an escape for us. I have the freedom now to choose what I want. I have the freedom to say, we did something tonight. I went to Chewies. <laughs> I hate food. What about you? What does your money reveal about your hope? A good way to answer that is what, what is it easy, what is easy for you to spend your money on? Um, so if it's easy for you to spend your money on clothes, then maybe your wardrobe is your hope. Uh, if it's easy for you to spend money on your house, um, you know, home improvements, whatever it may be, then maybe your house is your hope. And, and, and wanting to, to come across as uh as as having it all. Um, what about Um, You know, going out to eat, maybe your belly is your hope. Um, Or maybe you think, and you're kind of anti all this, and you're like, that's all stupid. Um, Why spend any money? Um, All money should be going to the bank, into my savings account, into a Roth IRA, into CDs. And then you say, well, maybe your bank is your hope. And so money tattles on us in this way. I I don't think money is ever an idol. It just reveals where our idol is. Let's hit that last one, faith, hope, and love. Why don't we love people more compassionately than we do? Do we not love them? Why don't we not give to the poor? Do we not love them? We're not just being stingy with our finances. We're revealing we don't really love. Money is tied to this so well. This is why we're talking about it. So when we give it's a result of faith hope and love when we're being generous it's a result of faith hope and love it's a reality check if i have real hope if i have real faith if i have real love and then i give i can't just say i believe in you i believe in this go and be well that's just sending like good vibes right that's just that's just saying i i I hope you find food somewhere I, i i hope that takes care of itself Faith, hope, and love is actually tied to our generosity and says, and it's, it's this, it cuts through the fluff and it, it comes this reality check that says, if I believe, if I have faith, then I, I do give, then I do, I do hope and I do love, and I do it generously. This is why God calls us to tithe, right? It's not just for his kingdom, it's for our good as well, right? It, it actually changes us when we do these things to become generous people. And it actually works on us in a way to actually be growing and to grow in what it means to be generous, not just with our finances, but to be generous with with grace to people, to actually be generous, to give people room and to forgive them. It it works on us in this way. But the only place in in the New Testament where Jesus actually talks about um, the tithe was actually the chapter before this one. So we're in chapter 12, chapter 11. Jesus says, to the, to the Pharisees, this is the only spot he actually talks about a tithe. And to the Pharisees, he says this: "Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe." We could stop there, and you'd be like, "See, you don't have to tithe, <laughs> right?" He says, "Woe to you, Pharisees, for you do tithe and neglect justice and the love of God." And then he says, "These you ought to have done without neglecting the others." And so what Jesus is saying is, yes, tithe, but not at the expense of justice and love to people what jesus is saying is that tithing is is like this, this baseline and then above and beyond that is where we we actually become generous people jesus is saying the tithe isn't the standard the cross is the standard where he gave everything and the christians in the early in the new testament were, were not baseline tithers they were extreme givers they gave above and beyond and invited people into their homes and gave to the needy and to the poor on top of what they would give to the church. They believed in a different kingdom that was happening there. They believed something bigger was going on, that their life wasn't tied to these possessions. And so for them, it was, the, the tithe wasn't this like ticket to be at church, it wasn't a membership fee. It was a part of actually being a part of what God's doing in the community. And then above and beyond that, they were generous. It wasn't this legalistic limit of what, what do I have to give? What can I give? The rich fool stores up. See that? He stores up and he's called a fool. But Jesus Christ, who's, who would be seen by most people as the ultimate fool, gives everything away. He doesn't hold anything back. He gives everything away and reveals what true foolishness actually is. It's holding on to what you can't keep. And then he says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. You know what treasure is? What your treasure is, is something that you would say, if I had that, it'd be worth it all. If I had that, it'd be worth it all. Or you could say, if God takes everything else away and I have that, it's worth it. Say that to your spouse. you will get some good points. But Jesus is now saying it to you. I want you to imagine he, he comes to you as, as just a tender father. And you may, be, you may be hurt and you may be screaming and crying inside. And he grabs you and says, I have you. I love you. I treasure you. It was all worth it taking my own life worth it for you and you may be sobbing you may be going I don't want to hear this I don't want, there's so much there's so much I'm worrying about right now you're asking me to give and give and give and he's saying I love you it's going to be okay I've got you it was worth it so look at his generosity look at how much he gave for you and how much he actually loves you and says the cross was worth it for you That was nothing compared to how much I love you. And for some of you you guys may be saying, I need some hope in this area. Jesus is that hope. We also have other avenues for hope in this area of life. Joe Oliver is leading a class this this summer in June and July. It's called Financial Peace. Isn't that a beautiful name? (laughs) You've probably been a part of one of those before, maybe. It's called Financial Peace. Wouldn't that be awesome? To have peace in this area of life. It's possible. Consider that if you need some avenues for hope there. But look at the way Jesus looks at you. How much he says you're worth it. Look at the way he, he, he gave everything away for you and says, I'm generous because I love you. And may that generosity move us to do the same. Let's pray.